Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. There's something I've noticed. Uh, I, I've noticed it from my own experience, and I still see it today. And growing up in church, I wonder if you recognize this picture. Maybe you've seen it here. Um, I've recently especially seen it because I've taken a group of young people along to an event called PowerPoint. And so I see it at events. Sometimes it happens here. Sometimes it happens in other venues across the city. And what happens is, and what I've noticed is, that the, the person at the front, someone like me, the preacher person, will say, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, then come down the front and you can do that tonight. And it's brilliant. And, and what you don't notice, unless you look really carefully, is all the youth leaders around the room punching the air silently as they see their young people get up out of their seats and come down to the front and say, yes, I want to become a Christian. And people celebrate. And then, and then a month later, they have the next event or the next time that happens. And the same young people get out of their seats and they go down the front again, just in case, you know, just in case first time round. They didn't quite seal the deal, so they do it again. And then, and then a month later, they have another event, and they invite, if you want to become a Christian, come down the front. And, and the same young people do it again. And, and I, I've got to be honest, as a teenager growing up in church, I must have become a Christian about 20 times. I don't know about you, um, but actually, over and over again, I was the one who was up at the front. And I know some of you were there with me. Um, I'm not the only one. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I didn't even know what he'd asked us to come to the front for. I just thought, yeah, I'll go to the front. I'll have some of that. Let me up there. And so I was at the front. Um, and I think, I think there was something in that that I want to try and talk about today. There's something in the need to keep going back when we've already got Jesus. Something in, perhaps even as adults, where we feel perhaps we've grown out of going down to the front every time. But maybe we still don't feel like everything's complete. I think the reason I went over and over and over again is because I'd been saved. I'd been forgiven. I'd got Jesus. But, but I didn't feel free. And so I came back the next month. And although everything from the last time had been forgiven, well, I'd accumulated a whole new month's worth of stuff that needed to be forgiven. And so I became a Christian again so that that could be forgiven again. And so throughout my teenage years, this happened and, and I think I did it because, for me, something felt like it was missing. And so last time, in two weeks ago, Thomas spoke about Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That is the, the pivotal verse for the whole book, for all of Galatians. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so each time I was going to the front, it was like, yes, I want to be saved. I want to be free. But then over the course of the weeks and days and months that followed, I felt like I became burdened again. And so I had to go and, and receive again. And so my big question for this morning, as we look at the second half of Galatians chapter 5, is how do we get free and go on being freed? How do we not get free and then become burdened again under a yoke of slavery? But how do we get free and stay free? That's what the teenage me needed to hear. 
How do you get free and go on being freed? Not feel like you're going around in cycles of being free and then being bound and then being free but then feeling burdened again. So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16. It will come on the screen and it says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul talks about these two things. He says, over here, you've got this thing called the flesh. And over here, there's this thing called the Spirit. And they are opposed. They are in conflict. So what are they? What what is this thing that he's talking about? Well, Well, the flesh, the flesh is that part of us that thing inside of us that desires to do things that aren't of God. That's what the flesh is. Those things within us that desire to do things that aren't of God. And when we talk about the Spirit, notice capital S, we're talking about God's Holy Spirit. And so when we hear that and when we talk about the Spirit, around the room I imagine there's a number of different responses or ways, of, ways we feel about the Spirit. Maybe, maybe you feel a bit like there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the unpredictable one. That's sometimes how it can feel. The Spirit, okay. I can do Father, Son, makes sense. Spirit, woo, not so sure about that. And there are, there are others of us, and you know who you are, who are more than comfortable with the Spirit. Absolutely. So I think we have different reactions, but, but what we're talking about here when we talk about the Spirit... The Spirit is there to illuminate Jesus before us and in us. Nothing wacky, nothing crazy. The Spirit points to Jesus. In fact, side note, when you see the Spirit do something miraculous, when we read in the book of Acts, for example, all the amazing signs and wonders that were performed in the power of the Spirit, they still served the same purpose. They were there to demonstrate and to point to and illuminate Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. So there's this conflict, there's this opposition. There's the flesh. Do the stuff that I know is bad for me. Do the stuff that God doesn't want for me. And the Spirit, who wants to illuminate and form us to look more and more like Jesus. So I don't know if you know that, but apparently, according to Paul, that's happening in each of us. In fact, if we took a timeline, so we start over here, you were born, you were really cute, and you grew up, And at some point, perhaps, you decide to become a Christian. And then way down here, we have death and heaven, okay? Well, Paul says that everything between those two spaces, everything from first knowing Jesus to death and heaven, is a conflict between your flesh and your spirit. The flesh and the spirit. So I don't know if you knew that, and I'm sorry sorry to be the one to break it to you. If you thought that freedom came in its entirety now, it's not true. Freedom comes at the end of that timeline. Freedom comes in heaven. Which means that one day, there's hope, one day, freedom will be all there is. There will be total freedom for us. But not, not yet. Not yet. But we do have a choice. 
And the choice is this. Do we choose to step further into freedom or do we give ground to the flesh and allow ourselves to become burdened again? That's the question. Are we free? And this is what Paul's talking about in his letter. Are we free so that we can go on being freed? Or do we get free and then become burdened again? Well, he says that you can go on being freed, degree by degree, stepping into freedom. That's what he's saying. You can become more free. So, so you might be thinking, and, and I want to talk about it, what's wrong with the flesh? What's wrong with us just doing what we want to do? What's wrong with us just fulfilling our own desires, right? What's so, wrong, what's so bad about that? And, and when we look at it, most times, we think there's nothing wrong with that. People don't start pursuing the flesh. People don't do those things that they sometimes do because they think it's going to leave them bound. People do it because they think it's going to bring them freedom. That's the reason why people watch porn. That's the reason why people get drunk. That's the reason why people place all their hopes, all their time, all their focus on climbing the ladder of their career. Because those things... They do offer us a surface level freedom, contentment, happiness. And culturally, those things are becoming more and more acceptable. Our culture tells us, if it feels right, do it. Just you go for it. Indulge yourself. You're worth it. Go for it. And they offer surface level, quick fix, contentment, escapism, Distraction. I found this quote from um, Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey, the actor. Jim Carrey said this. I think it's so profound. I was amazed when I found it. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Isn't that profound? So fine. Indulge yourselves. Pursue the flesh. Get everything you ever wanted and you'll get there and realize, ah, it's not it. It's not the answer. You see, the answer to our freedom, the answer to our underlying desire for joy, for real joy, for love, real connection with other people, for meaning and purpose, now and eternally, it's not found in the flesh. The flesh is a quick fix, distraction at best. Because if we try to build our lives on anything other than Jesus, we end up becoming bound and enslaved to the very thing we thought would bring us freedom. So we we go after alcohol. We think that's a good time. And then we become addicted to alcohol. Or we go after if I just have my life in order, if, if my kids can achieve the right things. If I can do, the, do well in my job, we become slaves to climbing that ladder or to the approval of other people. What will they think of me? And so the thing that we thought we could control, the thing that we thought would bring us into greater life, ends up controlling us. Does that make sense? Maybe. And the problem often in church is that we think... The way to get freedom is to put ourselves as far away from the things of the flesh as possible. I think I'm going to do my best 
to stay away from the bad stuff that God doesn't want for me. That's what I'm going to do. And it it makes sense. There's a logic to it. And we see those things and we think, well, freedom isn't found in all those different things, in in the things that lead to addiction and the things that lead to slavery. So we'll just put as much distance between those things and ourselves as we possibly can. And so we we become more disciplined. We think the answer is is self-control. If I can just become a better person, if I can just modify my behavior, if I'm not not like all those sinful things, well, then, then I'll be free. And we think that. But then it becomes about performance. And then it becomes about comparison. Am I, am I looking slightly cleaner and tidier in my life than the person next to me? And, and the answer is, um, no. The answer is that we can never be good enough. We can never have enough self-control. We can never modify our behavior enough if that's the way we want to go. We can never entirely on our own put the flesh out of our lives because it's in us. It's in us. And so we end up enslaved. That's why Paul keeps talking about don't become law people. Don't become legalistic. Don't become dutifully religious because you'll end up bound because you can never be good enough. Why would you place those things on yourself when Jesus came to set you free from those things? In fact, the the gospel is, first line of the gospel is, we can never be good enough on our own. So why would we try? Why would we try and modify our behavior? Why would we try and clean ourselves up? Why would we try and control the flesh when we can't do it? We know we can't. In Romans 8, Paul writes, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's saying is, and elsewhere in the Bible it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him, Jesus, we might become the very righteousness of God. Not that we're righteous on our own, Not that we we try and clean ourselves up and be the best Christian we can be and avoid the flesh. But that in him, in Jesus, God made him who had no sin. He was the perfect one to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's his righteousness we get. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5 verse 18. If you're led by the spirit, then you're free from the law. So stop trying to live under the law. Stop trying to be a neat and tidy, perfect Christian. Stop it. We don't need to perform because our freedom isn't found in modifying our behavior. And this sounds reckless. This sounds lawless. Aaron, where are you going with this? So there's the flesh and there's the spirit and we're just not to resist the flesh at all? Well, not exactly. You know, if you are addicted, it makes sense to try and remove certain temptations from your life. That's not legalism, that's just wisdom, isn't it? 
But, but, life by the Spirit, freedom, freedom that keeps on getting freer on that timeline we're on, moving in more freedom rather than less, stopping ourselves being burdened, it's about pursuit, not prevention. It's about pursuing something, not about preventing the bad stuff. And this, this passage, as we read it, isn't about, isn't about fighting flesh. It's about actively pursuing the things of God. There's a difference there. For example, do I do the washing up at home because on the one hand I'm afraid of my wife or on the other hand because I love my wife? See, on the one hand, my, my motivation is fear. I can prevent her being mad at me if I do the right thing. On the other hand, the motivation is love. She will love me, I love her, so I'm going to do this because I love her. Now, honestly, it's normally a mixture of the two. But you can see the difference. There's no joy if your motivation is fear. I'm going to clean myself up, I'm going to become a better Christian, I'm going to avoid the flesh because I'm fearful. That's my motivation. Or... I'm going to do the things of God. I'm going to pursue him with all I've got because I love him. You see the difference? You see why one brings joy and the other brings death. You see that difference? So in this passage, Paul describes four different ways of our life with the Spirit. How do we pursue the Spirit? How are we so full of the Spirit that the flesh doesn't have any room? Well, we... We walk. We walk with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We learn to live with Him. We keep in step with Him. Walk, led, live, keep in step. All of them are about actively engaging with what the Spirit is doing. It's a moment by moment, day by day experience. Not of resisting, Not of preventing, but of pursuit. I'm going to pursue all that God might want to do in my life. I'm going to to fill my life with the things that bring me closer to Jesus. How about that as a way of defeating the flesh? Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you belong to Jesus, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not if you try and control them, you might get halfway. But if you belong to Jesus, well then you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I think what Paul is saying, stop trying to run away from the things of the flesh. Stop trying to run away from those desires you have to do things that you know aren't of God. And run towards him. Run towards him. And I think that's a pretty sweet deal. That's my experience, actually. Pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, and the other stuff seems to take care of itself. That's my experience. Because freedom, freedom is found, believe it or not, freedom is found in a person. A person. Wherever you might look for it, freedom is found in a person. His name is Jesus. It doesn't come from changing our behavior. It comes from having our hearts transformed by the Spirit. 
That's how it happens. See, the, the Spirit isn't, I don't think as I read this, the Spirit is that interested in cleaning up our external behaviors, the quick fix. The Spirit wants to transform our hearts. The quick fix is the law, just to sort of change my behavior. If we let him, I think the Spirit wants to do a much deeper work in our hearts. So there's this picture in um, this sort of description, this narrative in, in, in one of the Narnia books. And I read it when I was about nine or ten years old. And I want to share it because it's, it struck me then and I was reminded of it thinking about this. And it's this beautiful picture of grace. So the story is that, that Eustace is this little boy and he's got a silly name and he's a rotten little boy. That's the, basically the story. And Eustace is, um, is trying his, his, his kind of... He's with his friends, and then he goes off on his own, and he finds a hidden treasure. And because he's greedy, and because he's selfish, he's imagining all the things he'll be able to do now that he's got this treasure. And he puts on this, this golden bracelet, and then he falls asleep. Now, it turns out, of course, that this is an enchanted bracelet. So when he wakes up, his internal heart, his greed and his selfishness, has manifested itself because he's turned into a dragon, obviously. And this makes him sad. Initially, he's like, wow. And then he's like, sad because, because the thing that was on his wrist, this bracelet, well, it doesn't fit on his dragon leg anymore. And it's really tight and it hurts him. And he, he looks around and he realizes that he's all alone. And, and so he begins to cry big dragon tears. Oh. And then, and then Aslan the lion searches him out and finds him. And in mercy and compassion, he takes pity on Eustace the dragon. And he leads him and he says, come with me and I'll lead you up the mountain. Up the mountain to where there's a garden. And in the garden, there's a well. It's a living well. And he takes him to this place and Eustace looks at the well and thinks, wow, if I could just climb into the water, then it wouldn't hurt so much on my wrist. Then I'd be free. And so he tries, but he can't fit in. And so Aslan tells him, well, why don't you try and undress before you get in? You might fit. And he realizes, obviously, that like snakes, dragons can shed their skin. So he starts and he he looks at his claws and he starts to peel off all these these scales on his skin. And he peels and he peels and he, he, he kind of finishes off one side and he looks back and the first side's all grown back again. It's as hard underneath the first layer as, as it was on the surface. So he can't be free. And so Aslan says, well, well, why don't you let me undress you. Why don't you let me do it? And we read this. So desperate was Eustace, even his fear of Aslan's claws was not enough to stop him from laying down flat on his back. Laying anxiously on the ground, here's what Eustace felt. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, 
and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd no skin on. And he threw me into the water, and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. And I love that picture. I love the way that it describes Aslan dealing so gently with Eustace. The way he he takes mercy on him. The way as well that Eustace tries, but he knows he can't clean himself up enough. But Aslan can. We can't do it ourselves, no matter how much we scratch away. Some things only he can remove if we can face bringing them to him. And healing stings. Healing is painful because he goes deeper. He goes deeper. But in that, there's real freedom. He transforms our hearts, doesn't just modify our behavior. And as the Spirit does this, as he does it, he produces this this fruit in our lives. You know the fruit, love and joy and those things upon the screen. He produces those things in our lives. That's what happens. Now, he doesn't do that because God's all about making us nice boys and girls. He does that because those are the marks of freedom. If you're free, your life is full of that stuff. And notice that it's not, it's not the fruits, plural of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's a package deal. It's not exclusive. It's all of them. We get the fruit of the Spirit. All of those amazing things. They're the marks of freedom. Now, I'm going to be real with you guys. I like being real with you guys. I actually real with you guys. I've never speak like that. I'm going to be real. Let's get real. That doesn't mean that it's easy. We still make mistakes. And as I said before, our flesh is gradually overcome over a lifetime. It's not an instant fix. Sometimes it can be, but not in its entirety. So I'm, I'm more than happy to topple the myth of the perfect stock photo Christian life. We've been set free. And we go on being set free as we cooperate with the Spirit as the Spirit leads us to Jesus. It's about pursuit, not about prevention. And I only wish I'd been told that when I was a teenager. Because it would have saved me a lot of trips down the aisle to the front. Lots of time feeling like I wasn't really a Christian. Because I was the only one who seemed to be finding this hard. This opposition, this conflict between my flesh and the spirit. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Everybody else around me seems to be, have this sorted. Everyone has it so together. Well, the church, the Christian community, is designed to be the place where we can be honest about this conflict. Where we can encourage others. Where we can have others encourage us to keep going. To keep 
walking into more and more freedom. And so even this morning, as we sit here, as you think about what's for lunch, even now, the Spirit is at work in our lives, illuminating areas of our hearts to reveal to us where there are still scales to be peeled off, where there are still ways of our thinking, there are still desires of our flesh that we're bound to and that he wants to release us from. And it can feel, it can feel exposing, but it leads to freedom. Shall I pray for us? Let me pray. Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us. We believe you're real. We believe that you live in those of us who follow Jesus, who've placed our trust in you. And God, I believe that you're kind and that you're good, that you're gentle with us, but also you want to bring us into greater freedom. And so I have a sense this morning that that the Spirit is, is leading each of us up the mountain to the garden, to the well of living water. And so, Lord, we want to receive from you. We want to give over to you. We want to surrender to you the things that we're holding on to that would stop us living this life with the Spirit. We, we know we're afraid and we know it can be scary, but we, Lord, ask that you would do the deeper work in our hearts where we perhaps have covered things over with some, with some patches. Would you do the deeper work, we pray? We pray, Lord, that that we'd be so full of your spirit, which fleshes out Jesus in us, which grows the Christ-likeness in us. We'd be so full of that, there'd be no room for anything else. Because, Lord, we don't want to be bound. We don't want to become burdened by the flesh, but we want to live free by the spirit. So would you come, would you speak to us? And would you minister afresh your grace and your love to each of us? Amen.